when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patrick, and on this episode, we are taking a trip in the Wayback Machine to 1983 to talk about the sleeper hit, Mr. Mom, a comedy that explores what happens when things get switched up a bit. Speaking of switching things up, I am uh, running the show without my normal co-host this week, if you could call him normal, but in his place are two folks who should need no introduction, but here we go anyway. I'd like to welcome two of our feeling Film contributors, Don Masterpiece Shanahan and Jeremy the dreamer, Kalkara. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I feel like I should have like, hallelujah, you know, Damien Sandow WWE music if I'm going to be walking out to like the masterpiece nickname, like Ric Flair with a big glittery robe or something. <laughs> give you some, uh, give you some fireworks and maybe like a little woo, that kind of thing. Right, going on. right. I can do that. That was my text message ringtone for years, by the way. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Jeremy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. This is my first ever podcast ever. So wow, hey, a podcast virgin of sorts. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll try to go easy on you and hopefully not throw you too many curveballs. Uh, but with this film, I don't think we should have too many twists and turns. This one seems pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, like I said, we're going to be uh, talking about Mr. Mom, which actually came out of a conversation that we were having on social media last week. I'm so glad that conversation happened because as it, uh, as it stands, Aaron needed a night off to get some rest and uh, I needed a chance to talk about a film as funny as this with my man, Michael Keaton in it. So thank you guys for obliging me and uh, I'm glad to get a chance to talk about this tonight. Definitely. Sounds good. So before we do that, um, as always, we always like to check in with each other to find out what's been going on this week, see what we've been up to, reading, watching, playing, whatever. Just things that would uh, make us happy and get you guys more informed about life in the pop culture world. So, Don, I want to hand it off to you. What have you been up to this week? Uh, for me, it's been playing catch-up. Um, being the press credential movie guy, it's been... I have three reviews. I got a, four reviews. I have to try to figure out how to write. Uh, Detroit and Atomic Blonde are done. Both uh, both good for what they are. Uh, good action flick in, in one regard, and then a really painful, tough uh, drama in another regard. Um, two films I still have to review and write are um, a small little independent film. It's actually a foreign language film called Menashe. Um, it's the first Yiddish language film uh, in like 60 years, and it's uh, something from A24, so they're always a hot studio. And when when they make a film, we all pay attention and listen. And it's about a, a widowed father who's trying to kind of hold on to um, not so much custody because it's kind of different rules out there in Jewish Brooklyn, but I'm um, trying to hold on to being able to live with his own son. And uh, good drama, good stuff. It's one of those situations where parallels of fatherhood can be found in any culture or place. And that's always um, real nice to see, especially in light of what we're you know going to review and talk about tonight. The other film I have to review uh, some way, somehow, is um, An Inconvenient Sequel, the uh, documentary sequel to An Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore. Um, I enjoy the content of that documentary, and the sequel does a good job. Um, I don't think it's as good as the first one, but it's, um, it'll hold its own and has a place for what we're looking for. Other than that, um, I'm not a TV guy. I'm not a video game guy, and I really don't read anything, so it's all movies for me. 
Man, that's good. I like that. I had actually never heard of uh, Minashi. Is that right? Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, Minashi. It's Minashi, an A twenty four film. Um, full. Yeah, it's Yiddish. It's completely in Yiddish. Wow, A twenty four Studio A twenty four puts out some. They've been putting out some crazy stuff, and I don't. I mean, uh, subjectively speaking, I don't know if it's like fantastic, but it's definitely like when when I see A twenty four pop up on the screen. I'm, I'm, my eyes are, are geared in to see what's going on. So I'll have to put that on my radar. Yeah, I think it, um, technically it's in limited release, maybe up here in the big cities, but um, it should be coming out easily before the end of the summer. And uh, um, easy experience, you know, nothing too long, nothing too heavy, but uh, fascinating to look into that culture and see um, such common and pillar themes. I like that. I like that. Jeremy, how about you, man? What have you been up to this week? Um, well, first, I'm really excited to hear that the teacher among us doesn't read. So that makes me feel better about not reading either. Um, I've always been waiting for the movie guy. No, there's no time. I'm a movie guy. Give me the two hour shortcut. Come on. No way. Can't do it. Yeah. Well, they're making movies out of everything nowadays. So why would you read? Um, movies out of a cookbook coming next right my kids are asleep so i can say that out loud um (laughs) they have movies out of a cookbook those are all the youtube cooking videos i watch more than i read a cookbook (laughs) or even that what what you know my wife is uh expecting a child and even that what to you're expecting is a movie now so um yeah there's really no need to ever read anything yeah it's called Uh, chef that's the movie we're talking about we're we're talking about chef that's chef that's a good one yeah (laughs) Um, this week, I went and saw a few things, but my favorite and probably my favorite of the year so far was The Big Sick, which um, I know that Don has already seen. And uh, I just thought it was um, an outstanding movie. It's about the true life romance of Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily Gordon, and just uh, about how they met and uh, what the the complications that arose in their relationship before they, you know, eventually got married and that sort of thing. And um, I thought I'm not a big romantic comedy guy, but it was funny. And for about the last 45 minutes, I was uh, ugly crying while also laughing. And it just was a wonderful movie experience. I'd recommend everybody go see it. Um, it should be in about every city right about now. It's it's just a solid film. Patrick, have you seen the film? I have not yet. I have heard so many people say great things about this that I I don't think there's an excuse for me not to go see it at some point. This may be one that um, my wife and I, when we talk about going to see movies, I tell her, I said, I've got to see at least one movie a week. And right now we're, uh, the podcast is, is driving most of that. And um, we're, we're in a, a lull right now of going to see theater picks, which is Kind of good for the pocketbook, but this may be one that uh, becomes a date night for us. I'm I'm excited about it. I have heard nothing but good things, and uh, I want to get on the bandwagon at some point. Yeah, I've been a fan of Kumail Nanjiani for a long time. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, but uh, I think you are. I think you're nailing it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but he's uh, great on HBO Silicon Valley and just guest appearances and stuff. And his stand up is really really funny and. Uh, you know, I, the movie, it's funny. I was talking to Aaron about it earlier this week. I, if it wasn't a true story, I might think that the movie was ridiculous. But because it was a true story, it was just fascinating and really, really couldn't recommend any higher. Gosh, every review makes me want to watch it even more. So I yeah, appreciate it, that. It, it really is a little piece of something special. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm 
I, we haven't had a very good romantic comedy in what seems like years. So for something this smart to come out and still kind of tickle the piano keys drama is always a nice thing. Um, I, I'll even say it's Oscar worthy. I mean, I, it'll if, if a film like this can carry a good audience, I mean, the Golden Globe comedy musical category is the easy part, but Maggiani for best actor, I have not seen much more better lead acting performances this year. It just happens to be in a comedy. Fantastic, guys. Same with uh, Ray Romano for supporting. I thought he was just yes. phenomenal as well. I've yeah. always been a huge fan of Ray Romano uh, from the days of his his days as Everybody Loves Raymond and even in his uh, stint in Parenthood back several years ago. He's just become a favorite. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine about this who had already seen it, and he said, yeah, this is one of the few movies that he plays a uh, – he doesn't play the funny guy necessarily. He's not the, the comedy uh, – lead in this and i was like wow that's going to be interesting i'll be um excited to see how that plays out yeah good stuff i'm the last person to, to name i have to drop holly hunter's just as amazing too same <laughs> thing but she's more the generator of comedy i mean okay. she just has a screw loose and it's hilarious very cool well thanks for that input guys uh for me i have been uh reminiscing about comics that i don't have time to read and so Part of what I do is go back to trade paperbacks and hardcovers that I've actually purchased but haven't read or haven't read in a while. And I wanted to revisit a particular seven-issue miniseries that I've been talking about indirectly with some of my coworkers. Um, it's a really fantastic look into how storytelling works uh, from a visual standpoint as well as from a narrative standpoint. It's a, it's a seven-issue miniseries collected as a hardcover called Superman American Alien. And it's by a guy named Max Landis. This guy, at least for me, was famous for directing the movie American Ultra. And so he's got a really interesting um, storytelling style. Uh, the American Ultra was one that I, I saw on my radar. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of Kristen Stewart, but I did like Jesse Eisenberg. And so I watched that particular film because of that. And it was just, it was great. It was one that was... Uh, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. But anyway, this guy wrote the seven-issue series, and it chronicles the life of, of Clark Kent. And I know most people are saying, why do we need another Superman origin story? But what he's done is he's taken each issue, and he's used it to tell a certain portion of Clark's life. So he starts out as a six-year-old kid in the first issue, and then he's a teenager and then uh, a young adult in his 20s, and then his 30s. You know, it's, it's not a specific, like, he's 32 here, he's 45, here, you know, whatever. But each one of these issues just tells a unique portion of what it's like growing up um, in the Midwest uh, as, a, as a farm boy with superpowers, which sounds very like, well, we already heard that story. But what Max Landis does is he he kind of gets into the heart of what it means to be a kid, which I don't know that we get. I think we sort of collected that a little bit in the TV show Smallville, but that was really more of a teenage Clark at that point. And that's a piece of this series. The other thing that makes this interesting is that Landis, or I guess DC, decided that for each issue, each little season of life that he was telling, he wanted a different artist to, to actually draw these things and so when you when you read the issues and you see that it's all amazing artwork i mean it's 
if anybody listening knows who these guys are, you can uh, you can give me a thumbs up. You've got Nick Negrata, you've got Jay Lee, you've got Francis Manipal, uh, Jonathan Case, Jock. These guys are fairly famous in the world of of sequential art in terms of their their artwork. But each issue is drawn by a different person, and each issue, because of that, has a level of maturity to it that grows as the as the story goes on. So by the time you get to the seventh issue, it feels like an adult comic or like one that would be uh, your, your typical Superman comic. But it doesn't mean that these other earlier issues are like, you know, stick figures, whatnot. I mean, it's all fantastic artwork. It's just a lot more simply drawn. The colors are more vibrant to kind of symbol symbolically represent like innocence and, and growing up. And I'm just incredibly impressed with that. I love ways in which storytellers use different mediums besides words, besides pictures, you know, all these different things pulled together, color, the way, the, 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 the thickness of a line, the way in which pages are, are put together to tell a narrative that is what is close to them in terms of how they want to tell that story. I mean, we see it in film in the way in which directors use color palettes, the way they use time chronologically we saw that a little bit in dunkirk but we it's just it impresses me because i want to tell those kinds of stories i want to use the elements around me to help reinforce the story that i'm trying to tell and so going back and revisiting this not only created a, a deeper appreciation for design for storytelling in and of itself but it's also another it's just a great read it's worth like rereading if you have if you have read it or reading for the first time if you have it. And Max Landis is a great storyteller. I think he likes and appreciates the character of Superman, and I love that he took the approach of saying, let's talk about Clark and how he grew into this guy um, growing up in a Midwestern town that a lot of us, or at least a good portion of us who live in the Midwest, could, uh, could be familiar with. So yeah, I highly recommend that. Superman American Alien by Max Landis. Sounds good, man. My Max Landis touchstone point is Chronicle, which, okay. which blew out of the water and did a great job with. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely love, and I, I mean, as much as I'm a Man of Steel fan as a film, um, his uh, Superman rant post Man of Steel that's on YouTube on his channel <laughs> is 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 crazy. Um, where it just shows the, the the enthusiasm he has as a storyteller, mm -hmm. uh, where he completely revises everything he would ever do to make a Superman film. Um, you know, into kind of bad mouth Man of Steel, but it's fascinating and it's really cool to see that he got a book maybe to put a little bit of that in practice. Yeah, and it's neat to see how how directors, because I think he's originally a director who wrote this story and used artwork, you know, in the, in the comics genre to to tell that story. But it's interesting to see how his ideas can play out on paper as opposed to film, because those things have to be plot in a different way i mean you can get your same story beats but you know how does somebody like uh like francis manipal you know get the expression that landis is trying to articulate through through a visual means and it's just it's really neat i, I love i'm almost like it's almost like watching storyboards play out in in each one of these issues and knowing that this guy's a director first and then obviously a comic book writer second so i i as much as I would probably dis, I, yeah, I think I've, I want to say I've listened to that rant. I don't, I don't know if it was re in response to the Man of Steel. I didn't know that, but as much as I can appreciate that, um, I mean, I still love Man of Steel, and but I can definitely appreciate the passion 
that that he has in wanting to quote get it right because that tells me he loves the character and so you're not going to get anything less than his best when it comes to to this trade paperback all right well you guys ready to to get into this yeah let's do this turn back the time machine turn him back so i'll call doc brown and see if we can get the uh the flux capacitor working but i will say this as much as I think it's dumb to say this at this point. There will be spoilers. This is a 1983 movie, so it's available streaming for free on Amazon Prime as of this recording. So if you would like to watch this film without being spoiled, um, please turn this podcast off now, watch the movie, and come back ready to laugh with us because that's pretty much what we're probably going to do. And probably tell some dad jokes because that seems to be fitting to, to tell some dad jokes at some point. So... Um, it is also, I will say, it is also available on Hulu Plus. Oh, is it? Okay, great. Oh, great. Sweet. So, so two yes. forms of two forms of streaming for your uh, for your for your watching pleasure. I think it's funny. The spo- to call it spoilers is funny. It's an '80s family comedy, so everybody's <laughs> dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. But it's it's one of those ma- kind of like a state funded mandate. We have to say these things before each episode, or else yeah. we get called out on social media. <laughs> you didn't That's spoil true. that. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll just spoil other movies while we talk about it. So, <laughs> just a note: everything we talk about is spoiler filled. Okay, because <laughs> we're not going to keep anything in the dark, even if it's not it Mr. Mom. We got so. it. All right, guys. So, first of all, tell me about your first experience with this movie. Obviously, this is over twenty years old, and we all adore it in some way, shape, or form. So, Don, why don't we start with you? Tell me about your first experiences with this film. Um, honestly, this was a blind spot for me. I didn't see it till um, I became a dad four years ago. So, um, and it was purely a scrolling thing in Hulu Plus, where I'm like, "Oh, what do I, you know, what do I want to watch tonight?" What's kind of there, and I, you know, I, I always knew of its, uh, I always, always knew of its stature and always knew of its popularity, but um, I really didn't encounter it till somebody said, "You know what? You, you know, you're a dad now. You should totally watch that Mr. Mom movie, and uh, you get a kick out of the things you do right and the things you do wrong." And, and sure enough, um, that was kind of my first take to it. Just um, watching it way after the fact, kind of being that person sitting there going, "Gosh, man, look how good Terry Yar looks," or "Gosh, look, look how young Michael Keaton looks." Because it was four years ago. Puts it, you know, um, between stuff like the Nice Guys and Birdman, where I'm used to old grizzled Michael Keaton now. So it was kind of interesting to see, um, just you know, go back and see kind of where he kind of got his start. So as a blind spot film for me, it was. It was fun to soak it up in that way. I don't know when I would have maybe seen it. Um, you know, that's kind of, I would have been four years old. That was before my time. So, um, or at least before my time to get. So I, I was cool with, with kind of seeing it as a father, not just as a 20 something going, come on, man, that stuff doesn't happen. But or I don't want to be a dad. It's never going to happen to me. And I didn't want to be that guy. So I was very happy to see it in the time of life I did. Great. Don, what about you, Jeremy? When, uh, what was your first experience with this film? My first experience, like this movie kind of goes back to like why I consider myself like this, a movie guy today. When I was like eight years old, my grandma came to live with us when she was, uh, she had cancer and she slept in the basement where I did. And, and I mean, in a different room, but uh, (laughs) where I, I was in another room with the same car bed that, uh, the oldest son and Mr. Mom has, but, but uh, late at night, she would invite me. We'd into a room and we'd watch old movies together that she had taped off of TBS 
onto VHS tapes. And so when she passed away, we had all these tapes. And there was this one tape that had, in order, it was Mr. Mom, Baby Boom, and Rocky Four. And <laughs> that's awesome. During the summers, like in I would say fourth, fifth, sixth grade, we I mean, without exaggerating, I, I talked to my sisters this week to make sure I'm not like exaggerating this, but at least three days a week we would just put that tape on and watch all three movies every day. So Mr. Mom is actually a movie that I've probably seen. There's probably not five movies that I've seen more times than Mr. Mom. So um, I did just experience it as a dad probably for the first time a few years ago. So most of my experiences, you know, were a little bit older than Kenny, uh, the son. So. <laughs> That's great. Now, man. now, how were the differences for you? Like remembering it from that bygone time, you've seen it to relating to it now. Like how did that, how did your, your, your length with it change? I should say. Um, my, you know, I think like when I was a kid, like the, the scenes that had, uh, both Michael Keaton and Terry Gar, you're just like waiting for those to get over so you can get to the, you know, the dad's next funny screw up or the kid eating chili and, uh, <laughs> everybody rushing out of the driveway, you know, to get to those sort of, uh, laugh out loud, funny scenes, but man, as a dad, you see like, and as a husband, you see the relationship that those two have and mm -hmm. how they're able to communicate with each other, really just using their eyes and stuff that it really rings true, uh, as an adult. Absolutely. I, I remember growing up having a similar experience with you, Jeremy, that we didn't have, I didn't live in, a, you know, live in a basement and have you know, movies taped for me and stuff like that. So I wouldn't that specific, but I do remember this being on quite a bit and wanting to watch it every time for, and for those exact same reasons. I, I love the comedic bits. I loved the, the Rocky montage. I loved the, the cheesy um, relay race. I, I loved all those things. And so every time I queued it up, it was always to watch those things and always to, and I, as I, I noticed that, I would watch it as I got older and it never got old for me to watch, obviously, because I would continue to watch this on repeat viewings, but I would be become more in tune with things at each season of my life. So I started watching this when I was maybe 10. Uh, my, my dad introduced me to it cause he's a big Michael Keaton fan. And then as I got older, the, the gags became still, they were just as funny, but I was more, attuned to the to the memorization of the funny lines that were coming in uh you know because if you if you grow up in 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 america or whatever or at all you're gonna be a big fan of memorizing lines like dumb and dumber was the quotable movie in college for us and so growing up in high school that this was the film this was a film that was highly quotable Irv, come up on aisle three Irv, we were never in aisle three you know whatever and so now as an adult watching this not only as a husband, but as a father, as all three of us are, those relationships are now more things that I'm, I'm tuned into Jack's relationship with Carolyn and, and their relationship with their kids. And I just, it's so heartwarming and yes, it is a, everything good happens at, you know, everything wraps up nicely at the end, but there's a, there's a sense of genuineness that I think lives in this film when it comes to those relationships. Like, I don't think that any of these characters that are there just for sight gags or just for eye candy or whatever, each character has a reason to be there. And I've, I've talked about this a couple of times in, in past episodes where I can appreciate characters who aren't throwaways, who don't feel like they 
just have a comedic purpose or they have a typecasted purpose. Like that family feels just as genuine today as it would back in 1983. And of course I was five years old when this movie came out. So obviously I did not see it in the theater, but I would like to believe that the subject matter, the characters, the relationships still have validity in the world we live in today. Um, do you guys agree with that? Do you think this movie is outdated and just kind of lives in our hearts because we have nostalgia or what? But you, Don. Um, yeah, I half and half. I, I think it, I think it's terribly dated in terms of just aesthetics and some of that stuff and maybe family <laughs> units and things like that. I think um, if you were to make this movie today, you'd see a more progressive um, female who wouldn't, you know, walk into an office place where she was just, you know, a skirt, you know, I think you'd right. see, um, she wouldn't have to quit, you know, like, uh, like I thought about, you know, messages and what this movie sends. And, um, you know, if you were to watch this movie today, the message is, you know, yeah, sure. Terry Gar, go make some money and, you know, kind of limp your family along for a while, but guess what? You're going to go to a workplace where you're a woman. You're going to go to a workplace where you're, you're, you're an object first and you're probably going to quit and go back home and be, go back where you belong. You know, I'm, I'm sure that message rings for somebody in this audience where you'd have to tweak this a little bit and not just the modernity of appliances and all that that period stuff but just um themes and purposes and maybe some of those conversations of you know who, you know that the who wears the pants kind of compare you know ways that terry gar and michael keaton talk i think it would change today what i think doesn't change is men are still you know ridiculously terrible at the job of doing it by themselves without a lot of help so i think um the screw ups and the and the different ways that guys figure things out different than women, um, I think completely plays now uh, as well as it did then. I also think that just the way that men um, are expected to do things, I guess, with kids nowadays is a lot different than they were back then. Like I know when I grew up, it was you know my dad was there but you know he came home from work and he watched the news ate dinner watched the news and went to bed and you know my mom was responsible for every little thing you know where now I don't really feel like that's the case in my family even though I'm the only one that works in my family I still you know I get home and you know need to engage with the kids and weekends aren't just for me to go golfing or whatever like they were for my dad so I think I'm like more involved and I think the average dad probably is more involved in this day and age than they were back then. Um, but like Don said, we're still numbskulls at, you know, figuring that sort of stuff out, even if that was the case. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, Don, you brought up, both of you guys are bringing up great points. First of all, that this movie does feel dated in some ways. I remember I was watching it with my wife, who also loves the movie. And the opening scene, <laughs> the music comes up. And Chris, my wife, Chris is like, hmm, they could probably update that music because that's kind of, it's just very much a, that, what, that trombone or whatever it is. It's just awful. And then I think the moment that really got her saying, whoa, nah, -uh, is when Carolyn is waking Jack up and she says, I've got your shower running. And he's like, okay, I'm up, great, whatever. And she's like, uh-uh, that would not, no, you're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the way Jeremy said it. You know, I think gender roles in the home have adjusted a little bit. 
we're mm. st- like he said, numbskulls is still the case, but I think there's little responsibilities that we're still supposed to be better at and, and, and have become better at. Mm-hmm. We, but man, we still suck. <laughs> well, we do. And that's the thing that I think allows this film to stand up on it uh, over time is the fact that when I look at what my wife does, because she's essentially a stay at home mom, she brings in some part time money to help with you know, offset some of our mother's day out stuff that we do for our son. But she's, I mean, she's knocking it out of the park at home. I mean, she is constantly in the trenches dealing with a four-year-old and I've just got one. So, I mean, I know you guys can, (laughs) you know, multiply that by, you know, infinity or whatever, Uh, especially you, Jeremy, that, you know, the 16 kids that you're planning on having after these what four or five. Um, But, but I, I, I watch her and I see, how just being home is 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 a job like it is an occupation that requires her ability to manage someone and there are times when i know i honestly feel like i just want to come home and crash on the couch and just veg for a little bit uh, like you jeremy the weekends are are more about me getting things done around the house to make sure that things are still running as smoothly as, as they can uh, with regards to, you know, groceries and the the lawn and stuff like that. But during the week I, I watch her and I, I see how she's looking forward to the weekend just as much as I am because of the fact that she's just been in the trenches with being a mom. And, and she would tell you, I think like most women that she loves it, but it's probably one of the hardest jobs. And that's not one that she would necessarily expect uh, when she, when we got married, she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and she knew it would be hard. But I think most women would say they didn't know it would be this this hard and stuff like that. So I see that living in this this film, how we see how tough it can be to not just to manage three kids, but to manage the day-to-day stuff. I mean, the amount of things that he has to do, or that she eventually, you know, ultimately has to do, and also make sure that. Um, foods on the table and all this other stuff. I mean, it's a big deal. And yeah, I mean, regardless of whether or not we're geniuses or numbskulls, it is a hard job. I mean, I, I took one day off to, to hang out with my son and I could say, yeah, that was easy. But I was also at a water park and a trampoline park. So I mean, you can't really, you know, screw that up. I mean, if I'm home with him all day, I'm sure that that would be a completely different experience. So movies like this, I think articulate a better appreciation that I have for, uh, for my wife and what she does and also more than anything, I think just to see how much two people in the in the home really help to to keep that that family stable. So very cool stuff. Um, what about you, Jeremy? What's your home situation like right now? Um, right now, <laughs> everybody's sleeping, and uh, no, it's. Kind of, I mean, I kind of feel you know. I think one of the big differences between my wife and I, other than the fact that she's amazing and I suck, is that um you know it can it can take her it takes her like weeks of like sustained busyness and annoyances to really until she'll break down and you know I get off work at 
345 on Fridays and by five o'clock I'm ready to go do something else. You know, I'm, I just can't handle it anymore. And oh my gosh, I got to put on shoes before we leave the house. Like, <laughs> Where are the shoes? You know, I just freak <laughs> out about the littlest thing. Whereas, you know, she's thinking about the dinner that's on the stove and, you know, the homework that the kids have to do and this and that. And I just, yeah, I couldn't do it at all. She's, she's pretty amazing. And there's like 400 of mine. I have like 400 of them. So, what about you? Yeah. Uh, for me, my wife's joke is, um, and it's a good one, is that she has, we have two children. We have uh, my, my daughter, Molly, and my son, Sam, who's two. But my wife's joke is that she has three kids, and one of them just happens to be 37 years old. So, <laughs> I mean, all the reminders that my kids need, I need like two more. So, that never really helps the cause a little bit when I'm home. For example, I'm a school teacher home on, on summer break. So, now she has three kids in the house all the time. So it's, it's a juggling match that I still, I, I ask and, and I, and I try to really not screw up, uh, you know, a, a building or inserting myself, I should say into the routines that she has, has set for years now, you know, or at least for the several months between the last summer vacation. So no, she, she's, fan, she's phenomenal. I can't compliment my wife enough. Um, she's an early childhood teacher uh, by trade, but one, um, this was her dream job. She always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. She she's that person who, you know, knows the, you know, the brain stuff that goes behind all this and, and the tenderness of this age where this is just so critical and important for their social development, their learning development, their personal development, and um, she wants that. She she doesn't want to go back to school till, or go back to work, I should say, which would be school, and until the kids go to school. So I I can't I can't thank her every day enough for doing what she does and um, making making when when I do something good, making me look good, like, wow, you know, you got that one thing, right? Nice work, you know, and uh, she, she, you know, she'll, delegating and compromising are, are the places we try to meet in the middle. But at the same time, yep, she has three kids. One of them just happens to be 37. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, guys, um, uh, because I, I was thinking about this, that this movie really sort of makes roles very black and white for the sake of the of the storytelling and the comedy in it do you guys see yourselves in, in your, in your families? Um, and you can talk about how it is growing up. I know Jeremy, you mentioned some of, uh, your relationship, like how your dad was and how you are, but in terms of the things that you guys do for the family household wise, like chores or other responsibilities, are there things that would, we would normally catalog as that's a wife thing to do versus a husband thing to do. Do you find that there's some role reversals in your families or do you kind of line up with what the stereotypical role of roles are for your um for for your, in, in your families what do you think don uh for me yeah we, i i guess i break the mold in a couple of places where um um i i try my best especially during the school year when i'm when my wife's had the kids all day and I finally come home and my energy level is pretty decent where I don't have the hardest job in the whole wide world. Um, I really try my best to do, um, to do dinner, bath and bed um, for my kids where I, I, one, I love cooking. So I, I really try to steal the kitchen and do the cooking at dinner, at least think I can try. And then at the same time, um, bath is my thing. Uh, bath is a place where they play with daddy and we, we, you know, shoot the breeze with the kids and, and have that fun. And, and when I can, um, I, I love doing bedtime. I, I'm the story, you know, I try to be the storyteller. I try to be the um, guy hanging out, and, you know, just we, we camp out and we have snuggle time in the, in the big bed before we get to the little kids' beds and all that. And I try to be that guy. Um, 
at the same time, I dirt more day to day. Um, I think I'm the good cop and my wife is the bad <laughs> cop. And normally that's the, normally it's the opposite where you don't want to talk to your father, you know? Right. No, it's like, you know, I think daddy's the easier going one because he's not the one home making the routines and making the mm-hmm. rules. And so I'm the guy who kind of just, yeah, sure. Whatever, you know, whatever, you know, or, you know, but normally my, the correction I need to do is, you know, United front, you know, what would your mother say? You know, mm-hmm. I have to be that guy instead. So, um, I guess that example for me, you know, having a very active mom. So I kind of knew that that's the thing to do. I was more the, the mama's boy than I was the daddy's, you know, daddy's son. So I, I, I was that kid who grew up, you know, um, cooking in the kitchen, baking cookies with grandma more than I was out in some garage fixing some car. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't have the most active and involved father, which I've gotten into before on Feel the Dreams podcast and all that. So um, my example comes from just, and I've said it before in the other podcast, just I have a great example of what not to do. So my goal mm-hmm. is to be every single version of the father that I didn't have. And I'm cool with that. I, I, I like that challenge. I take it on and I, and I, I think I'm doing all right. I, I know I'm doing all right when my own father, who isn't the best, you know, it, but we're adults now where we can handle each other and all that, where he can go, when he stops and goes, you know, you do a really good job with your kids. That's the best compliment I've ever gotten as a dad outside of ones I give my wife. So cool. Jeremy, what about you? Are there any things that challenge the status quo in terms of stereotypes that, that your family um, goes against? Well, you know, my oldest is 11 now. And so I just have him do everything that I'm supposed to do around the house. Nice. That's just pretty cool. So I don't mow the lawn, you know, I don't uh, take care of the pets, that sort of thing. Um, You know, we have pretty traditional, um, I guess, gender roles around here. Um, I do like to cook, I think a little bit more than what I grew up having my dad cook. Basically, when I grew up, you know, my dad if it was grilling time, my dad grilled, but you know, if it wasn't, then everything was handled by my mother. And, um, so I cook a little bit more, um, during the weekends, you know, I really try my best to cook, uh, the meals and to be around. And then, and then I do handle bedtime as well, um, as best I can. And so, uh, without blowing up, but, um, I feel like every we, sentence you uh, say needs to end with, as best I can, as best best I can. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I, you know, we have, uh, for the most part, you know, she, my wife does most of the cooking. She does most of everything, but, and I, you know, I, uh, avoid the housework and that sort of thing as far as like keeping up. But, um, I do try to help out, I guess, a little bit more than what I was used to, uh, with some things. Um, and then during the weekends, you know, I'm not off, doing what I want to do as much as I'm uh, trying to get the kids out of her hair. And, and like with the good cop, bad cop thing, I'm definitely the bad cop, but one way I can tell that my wife needs a break is when she starts acting like the bad cop too. So very nice. One way to be intuitive there. I think for me, I grew up as a latchkey kid. Uh, My brother and I were home by ourselves until both my parents, they worked and my mom would probably get home from work first. And she was really the Superman of the family in terms of, taking care of everything from cooking to laundry to making sure. And, and there were things about the relationship about growing up that, you know, as a kid, I thought was great. Like we didn't, we weren't made to do our homework. We just, they just assumed we were going to. And of course that didn't always work out, um, which is why my C average in high school exists. But the, 
my relationships with my parents, I, I was like you, Don, I, I would kind of gravitated towards more of my, my mom. Now, as I got older, uh, my dad and I, we kind of share, uh, from a faith standpoint, we share a common ground. So we've gotten to be, become closer because of that. But growing up, it was really about doing crafts with my mom. Like I was never, I never knew how to change the oil. Or I never grilled out. I mean, these are taboo things to me even today. Like it's, in the hot part of summer here in Arkansas and my wife's like hey do you want to and then she stops because she knows I don't grill even though we have a little thing out there so if I can use the oven I'll use that but some of that is informed by the fact that I grew up not being around that I mean I grew up around the television I grew up around things that were very much uh, and this speaks more about parenting styles than anything else but I grew up more akin to doing things more like my mom because she was I mean, she was the star. I mean, she took care of all of us, my brother, my myself, and my dad in a lot of ways. And their relationship has changed from, you know, from not having the kids around to becoming grandparents and to being more, uh, being retired people now. They enjoy going to Disney World every year, which is still bizarre to me. Uh, but more power to them, right? So for me, the like you guys, there are things about growing up in that household that made me want to not do those things. And some things I gravitate more towards because of that motivation, other things because I just feel better at. I primarily cook for us, but my wife does a phenomenal job of cooking certain things that when she says, I want to cook this this week, I'm like, fantastic, because she does a great job at it. I'm good at salmon cakes, but she's good at you know two or three other things that are much better than what I do, uh, like soups and things like that. Um, one of the things that I laugh about is uh, this happened one Saturday, maybe two or three years ago. I, I'm the primary grocery shopper. And so more so it's a chance for me to take my son for a couple hours, give her a break so she can kind of have a little bit of the Saturday morning by herself. But there was one time when uh, I'd gone a little bit later and I came home from getting the groceries and she was mowing the lawn, which is what she does. She loves being outdoors and doing gardening stuff, mowing the front yard. And our neighbor said, well, that looks different. Dad's getting groceries and mom's mowing the lawn. And I said, this is what we call the American family right here. And so in a lot of ways, I think for me, I try to not try to say, okay, I've got this, you've got that. We just gravitate towards doing different things. But more than anything, I think we try to make sure that each one of us is cared for in the relationship and how we handle our relationship with our son is an extension of that. So I do bath time. I do bedtime for the most part. Obviously I was a little late tonight because of that, but the, um, for the most part, I think we are, you know, in some ways we're very conventional in some ways we're not. And I like that. I like the fact that we're not trying to be the American family that we're just trying to be the family that gives us the most success to, to stay intact and to stay, to stay solid. So, but yeah, that, that, my experiences were informed by by growing up and uh and I think that it's a very um a very cool thing to see how we were as kids and how we are now as adults um so good stuff to circle it back to the movie have any, either of you guys had that moment other than you know like we're talking about little days and little moments where it's on us have you guys ever had an extended period of time where it's you at home primarily in that kind of way the way have you had to have a Mr. Mom week, month, year? I have had moments. Uh, there have been times when I've had a couple of days here and there, 
my wife took uh, spring break to go serve in in Dallas with our uh, with our church, hanging out with our students. But and so I spent a couple of those days home with with my son. So it was it was a chance for me to say, okay, we need to plan the day because I can't have you on your on your on your device all day or in front of a television. I've got to make sure that you and I are spending time together and that we're doing certain things. So yes, at least on a short term stint, that was, uh, I did get to experience a little bit of that of making sure that he's up on time, that we're eating, you know, eating breakfast and doing this and this and this. And honestly, I, the first time I had to do that, I was, I was scared to death because I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. (laughs) And, uh, because it was the first time I didn't know what to put on him as far as clothes go. I mean, she's the one that picks that stuff out. And it's those little moments like that, that I realized, man, there are so many things I do not think about when it comes to my kid that, that she is thinking about. And it's those moments that make me realize, man, I need to appreciate her more because I don't, you know? So what about you, Jeremy? Are there, um, you know, the only real time that is when it was an extended period of time was my wife went on a trip with our church to Guatemala last August and, it wasn't really that bad. I just went to work all day and they were at a friend's house. And then I went and picked him up from that friend's house for about three hours and then took him back so that they could sleep there. Cause I work early in the morning. And so it wasn't really that bad, but uh, as far as the amount of time goes, but man, it was kind of a nightmare as far as getting everything else done in the house, trying my best not to make, you know, have the kitchen be a total wreck when she got back and be a decent guy when it came to that sort of thing. But uh, it was, uh, it was an interesting week. It probably whined about it more than what, how difficult it really was, but um, people were giving me sympathy. So I had to go on about it a little bit. (laughs) What about you, Don, since you asked the question? I'm the lucky one. I have not. Um, and it's, and it's bad, you know, uh, some of it's, some of it's made by my wife. Some of it's made by me where it just doesn't happen. Um, I used to have a job where I had to travel and, and and miss all of it, miss, miss days at a time. And when it was all on her and, and I, and I, and I felt that I knew that. And I, and I, and I, we, we had that conversation of, what if it was you? And I said, I got this, you know, no problem. You know, I mean, <laughs> I tell myself I could do it for days or something like that. Or uh, our pediatrician one time said, you know, if you ever want him to, you know, your son to, to wean off of, you know, needing mom or to stop, you know, breastfeeding, whatever the thing was at the time, you know, take a vacation for a couple of days, mommy, and he'll, you know, he'll figure it out. So we never had to get to that point. I don't think my wife would ever let it get to that point. So <laughs> I have two kids that are probably more clinger to mom because dad is the guy who's always away, but I, I steal my moments where I can, but I, I have not had a Mr. Mom day, week, month, or I, I wish I, I want one. Mm-hmm. I, I want to step up and go, I got this. Be but, careful what you uh, wish for. <laughs> I, I'm not scared. I say it right now. Masterpiece Don over here is not scared. You're recorded. So just know that that's, we can come back to the archives <laughs> for that one. As an extension of that, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you this, Don, because you're being a teacher. You have, you know, you're you're at school nine months out of the year, and so does your with your schedule changing for the summer. Does that does that change how you are around the house as a dad? Does that change your role? Do you find that you take on more during the summers, or do you guys stick to a routine that because it's routine because it's pretty solid that it's easier just to do that. 
Um, I'd say it's about 80, 20. I think 80% of the routine that's always been the routine is here. Mm-hmm. But then I, and like I said, because I'm the third kid, uh, I come in and screw it up, you know, or think I can take on another thing or, or have a honeydew list. That's more than a typical school year's worth of honeydew list. Like I have a summer honeydew list that's over right there on the board that I am, that I'm doing okay on, but I, I'm realizing I have like three weeks left where it's just going to have to happen a little bit better. Um, 80, 20, 80, 20, 80 is, you know, Don, this is, this is what I do. And this is the routine and this is how we're going to have to do things. And there's a, you know, calendars and things and, and, and just, you know, keep up buddy. And then it's 20%. Well, daddy's almost pick something that daddy wants to do. So I get a little, there's a little say in there and, and some extra activity that comes with having free time and, and, and just hands on deck, you know, just being able to help in that kind of way. But, oh, gosh, no, it, it 80, 20. And that's a that's a generous 20 if I can even help. So, <laughs> Well, guys, I'm loving this insight. I'm loving to hear the uh, the stories that you guys are, are, are bringing to the table, especially, I mean, we're all dads and we're all dads of multiple, well, I say multiple children. We're all dads of children. <laughs> and, um, but... If this were a dad podcast, we'd be rocking and rolling. But alas, this is a movie podcast. So let's talk a little bit about the film that's kind of inspired some of this discussion. This is a movie that I think for us holds a, obviously it holds a dear place in our hearts. Um, we came to it at different points uh, in, in our lives. But what is it about the film? Is there one thing about the film that you guys love so much? Like, why is it? worth repeat you know watching on repeat viewings why is it something that that you can just go back to the well and it not get old don we'll start with you um for me i think the theme that i pull out of it because you know me website means every movie has a lesson i think it's the um double-edged sword of the fallibility of a father is reassuring to know that you know we all screw up but do we ever screw up michael keaton bad do i ever like you know mix three detergents in the, in the, in the stuff like that. Cause that's what my wife and I watched when we watched this film the other day was, you know, it was almost that scoreboard of you've done that. Oh yeah. You've done that. No, you know, or if, it, so that's the, that's the fun part that brings me back is, you know, seeing common screw up, seeing, um, seeing the same little pitfalls or things that are close to the pitfalls that I'm willing to have. But what I love about it is um, to, to spin out of that is, I think dads, and I think this is the case for the three of us here and hopefully a whole bunch more. Um, I love to think that we are quick on our feet and improvisational and kind of MacGyvers around the house where, you know, because we might not be the most the most adept creatures of routine, I like to think that when we win and when we do something right, man, it's really good that when, when dad gets something right against all odds, against routines, against every screw up and pratfall, that when we're right, man, it's beautiful. And it's that, I don't know, I think our kids notice that. I think our, our spouses notice that. And I, I like that there's little victories, not anything huge, not ticker tape parades, but I like the little victories that come from experiences of scrubs and pratfalls. Jeremy, what about you, man? I think one of the things that stands out to me about Mr. Mom is the, just as is common and john hughes movies you know you have just really fully realized fleshed out characters um obviously um michael keaton plays the main character who's kind of the goof up or whatever but it's not like um his wife is not like terry gar is perfect either she's making her own mistakes and so it really feels like 
a married couple. And I think that that, that makes their relationship so much more fun to watch. And, you know, I honestly, I watched the movie twice this week. It's my first podcast. I was nervous. I wanted to make sure I had something to say. And, you know, it, it didn't get old to me the second time today when I watched it all, just because watching those two together really, really is just, it's a delight. And, you know, as, as a watching it it was the gross out jokes it was the like i said before it was the diaper and the all that sort of stuff but now it really is the relationship between uh, michael keaton and terry gar that just makes the film a lot of fun and something i could watch anytime you wanted me to yeah i i, I would have to agree with all that and and everything that you said too don so i'm just gonna steal all your answers and say yes to all those things uh, to add just real quick i think the the story itself is very simple and I mentioned this to a friend of mine, how something I learned from doing work on the 48 hour film project is that a story can be simple as long as it feels cared for. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to have a crazy twist at the end and it just has to have something that's memorable. And for that particular project, typically comedy is what brings people, you know, you know makes people remember stuff. And I think with this, there was nothing necessarily crazy about the premise. You know, dad loses his job, mom goes back to work. And so the story itself was very simple. So what really got amplified were all those things that you guys mentioned, the antics and the calls to, oh yeah, that was me. Like I would totally put an iron on a grilled cheese sandwich to to warm the cheese, you know? I would, uh, you know, I, I, when they were watching, when he was watching Days of Our Lives, my wife watches Days. And I was like, is that Victor from, from today? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's Victor. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Do you know what storyline that is? You know, but also like what you were saying, Jeremy, there are the genuine relationships between Jack and Carolyn, this genuine love that they have for each other. They really feel like a team. And so to take a page out of Don's book, something that I learned from this that I want in my relationship with my wife is that ability to be a team, you know, not only to be able to call audibles when need to be, you know, to be the guy that can be like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. But to also know that my wife is just as much a part of the success of our family, that it's not just me doing it by myself. It's not just her doing her thing and me doing mine, but seeing Jack and Carolyn in the way that they are, particularly, I think it's, uh, there's a moment like after, you know, he makes that food, he makes all the Chinese food, and of course that whole bit's fantastic. And then you see, I noticed this watching the film, uh, the whole sequence of him waiting for her to come home, the candles get lower and lower and lower, so you can see that he's been waiting a long time. What I expected was for him to just be completely pissed at her when she got home. He made this dinner for her, and instead, what we get is this really tender moment on the couch where he feeds her, he gives her food, and he sees that she's had a very long day, and they just cuddle, and eventually I imagine they go and, you know, love on each other a little bit more intimately. But to me, that moment sort of brought attention to the fact that he cares about her. He doesn't just care that that she's doing a job or that he necessarily appreciates what she does as a mom. I'm sure he he's learning that. But at that moment, the film really informed me that she, both of those guys just cared deeply for each other, not just for what they could do for the family or for each other, but just because they were in love. I mean, this is something that can get very missed in a film like this is the fact that, Hey, husband and wife, they kind of are in love with each other. 
and um, and of course that plays itself out near the end where he's going through the A to Z list, and he goes, Z, you're not going to do anything because you, you sir, are in love with your wife. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. And um, I, I just thought that that was something that that kind of gets missed in movies about being a parent because you kind of you can ignore the fact that. Uh, it's really about the husband and wife first, because <laughs> you know if you're dealing with a nuclear family of, of that sort, it has to start with the, the the husband and wife before it can lead to the kids, because those guys help f- the success of their their child rearing. So it's uh, that's kind of what I've on this latest viewing. The thing that has stuck out to me as being the the thing that I find incredibly valuable in and uh, informing about it. I love great way of putting it. You know, just um. The relationship between Keaton and Gar, just the way you said it, just rock solid. I think, I think you're right. I think you'd see a lot other, a lot of other husband and wife teams in other movies where it's a more at each other's throat kind of thing and not a team. I, I really like the observation you made there. That's rock solid stuff. Yeah, it. They're just awesome. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be Jack and Carolyn. Yeah, I love that relationship. Well, they're also within this you guys have brought attention to the fact that there are some great moments in this film and i just i want to give some i just want to give some spotlight to these moments what are some moments that stood out to you guys funny sincere genuine uh whatever that you are on repeat viewings or or whenever you're you're coming back to this and you're going i can't wait to see this i'm looking forward to that particular scene or moment what about what about you don what are some moments that stand out to you um, my favorite scene in the movie is the uh, coupon poker game. I laugh my <laughs> butt off every time because I, I know coupons aren't as big of a deal as they are like they used to be. I mean, everything's an app and a barcode now, like Target Cartwheel and all that stuff like that. But I love just the way the girls react. He plays it, the cigar, you know, just the the just the, the full commitment those actresses and him put into that scene of like, just really selling it because it's a silly scene. It really is just a silly scene. But I, whoever put that on the written page, you know, to just these coupons for this, the names of the products, the mm-hmm. way the girls react and really sell, like, I'll tell you what, you know, just the the antics of a poker game, but just done on such a silly, clever and unique level. I, that <laughs> That's huge, just doing Hughes, and it's so much fun. I love it. And there's, did you guys ever see the movie Benny and June with Johnny Depp and... Long time ago. So there's a there's a similar scene with that 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 kicks off the relationship between Johnny Depp, uh, his character, and and the the heroine in it, and it starts with it's a poker game, but it's an unconventional poker game because they're like they're they're bidding like tire irons and all this random and tickets to a a basketball game and all these different things, and it it when I saw that for the first time it called back to that that poker game, and the only thing that that stands out to me besides the poker game itself is that 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 heavier woman uh one of the girlfriends who's eating that pickle and she's like i can't believe you know it's just that image in my head just just makes me laugh every time but yeah that's a fantastic scene jeremy what about you what are some moments that you that you like um my absolute favorite part of the film is uh when i think it's um i always forget it was a carolyn carol carolyn i think it's carolyn her second day of work where uh, Martin Mole picks her up and Jack comes in with the <laughs> chainsaw and is just acting like he, you know, I don't know, like a man's man, just like a jealous idiot. And it just makes me laugh 
Uh, Michael Keaton looks so nuts in those goggles. I was reading this week that that wasn't even a scripted scene. Like he told the prop people, you got to get me a, you got to get me a chainsaw and that he and uh, mole were kind of riffing before the scene started. And he told them about that, which is my favorite line of the movie. The you're going to do 220, uh, 220, whatever it takes, you know? <laughs> and I just love that scene. Um, I am not a handy guy at all, you know, but my biggest, my biggest fear is in life is like being outed as a moron. And you could just see in Martin Mull's eyes when he says 220, 221, whatever you think, just it's like, okay, so this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And I mean, I would be mortified, you know, and that's why I love Google. Google, Google is my best friend and my smartphone. So I can, I can uh, check every word spelling. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Saves my butt for everything. Like I did, I did balloon animals this weekend at a birthday party and I, you know, I was on a make me about bicycle clown moment for wedding crashers, but I'm like, I got it. You know, no one's over there helping these kids make these balloon animals. I got to figure something out. So I'm like, be the cool dad that makes balloon animals. So I'm trying to get a YouTube video, like just make a sword, just make a sword and let them beat each other with balloons and go on from there. Oh man. His, his relate, his chemistry with Richard Mull is great in that scene. And I, I think the, the moment right before that was, was great when, when he goes, want a beer run <laughs> at seven in the morning, scotch. And he scotch. Goes, <laughs> goes, not during working hours. Oh, sorry. And, and then it just goes into the whole bit. Oh my goodness. I just, gosh, I laugh at that scene every, every time. And then at the very end, and, he goes, how about you shave a little bit of that mustache, Ron? <laughs> so good. I think another underrated part of that scene is just the look in you know, Carolyn's eyes when she comes down and sees what he's doing. I mean, she communicates so much with her face that it just is incredible. Um, from when she first sees it and the look she gives him as she turns around to walk to the car is just yeah. priceless. You know, I forget um, how funny Terry Gar actually is until I watch this movie and then I couple that with like Young Frankenstein. I just forget how funny she is just, comp- and, and I, and I, just I have to apologize to my brain for not remembering that she is great. She is just without even saying anything. She like the the whole scene in the plane where she's like as a woman, as a court, you know, whatever. And the whole time she's cutting Ron's steak. I mean, I don't know that anybody can can be just as convincing as a mom and funny at the same time on screen. I've just it's been so long since I've seen that, and I I've completely just kind of rekindled my my love for her as a as a comedic actor. I think for me the the scene that stood out uh as far as like uh with the exception of outside of the connecting point was the was the supermarket scene. And only because I think because <laughs> I'm in the supermarket most of the time, but there's a reason why I buy meat off the shelf. I don't go to a butcher and it's because of that particular scene. I don't want to be that guy that says, let me get a pound of cheese. You want know, Swiss, Romano, we got your whole cheddar family, you know, and, and then having to kind of, you know, go down and say, can you go back through the, uh, the hams again, you know, but, but the whole bit, you could just feel the anxiety on Jack and just how the tension builds up and builds up and builds up. And it just it was it didn't feel like a gag after gag after gag. Everything felt like it sort of kind of connected to one another till we get all the way to the end and and he's being seduced by um oh I forget her name now. 
uh, or at least the beginnings of of seduction. Joan, I think. Joan, that's right, Joan. And uh, I just I love the fact that we get <laughs> so many moments, not just one, but like three or four moments in the in the supermarket, and we and, and having jokes pay themselves off. So you get like two or three moments where he makes a spill or something, clean up on aisle three, clean up on aisle five, and then at one point, you know, at the very end. You know, he, he's, you hear this, clean up on aisle 12. We were never in aisle 12, Irv. So that whole thing, you just get a sense of, of the tension and the stress of what it's going to be like for him to fulfill this role as a dad. And you're just, you're waiting for the moments, uh, for the moment to, to build where he's going to actually get it at some point. You're ready to cheer for him as a dad and as a as a human being at this point because you don't want him to to suffer at some point. At least I didn't. I was like, "Okay, this is funny, but I feel bad for you and I don't want to feel bad for you anymore." <laughs> the other thing about that scene in the supermarket that really rings true for me is how the when he leaves the baby in the cart and the lady's like you left your baby in the cart i think that's just something that men don't get that women do because i'll do that all the time like i'll leave the kids in the car while i wheel the cart to the cart corral i mean they're right there i can see them but to like your average modern woman i might as well be clubbing baby seals yeah by doing something like that yeah and it's just so true i've gotten i've gotten many looks from my wife whenever we're at an event or something and i let my son just kind of take off and I can see him out of the corner of my eye. And she's like, where's Carson? And I go, he's right over there. And she's like, where's Carson? I go, okay, I'll go get him. You know, because it's like you almost wish he had one of those like kid leashes, right? So I'm like, he's right here. And you just tug on it. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have that. But I've, yes, I've gotten that kind of look before, not only from my wife, but from other women who are like, um, did you really do that? Come on. What's what's going on here? Oh, gosh. Right? <laughs> We we have the kid leash, but I'm, I, I it's like I said, bad cop, good cop. It, you know, it was an idea for for maybe my wife to use before me because my son can just get rambunctious where he just can't hold him. So I mean, so it, we've we've been tempted to use that, but normally when it's me out with the kids, it's one of them's on my shoulders, the other one's tugging on my leg. You know, where the where the where the we get the awe looks like, oh look at him just play with his kids, you know. So I I I notice those, and that's kind of fun. So yeah, well. If you guys, let's finish up before we get into our connecting point. I want to talk about a couple other things. One, I want to talk about the supporting cast a little bit, particularly uh, Jack's band of not brothers necessarily, but the his three coworkers, and you know these guys and how they are. I mean, they're not, you know, with the exception of Jinx, they're not very prominent in this, but at the very beginning of the film and leading into the moment where he loses his job, um, I, I really, really enjoyed particularly Christopher Lloyd. You know, I, I've seen him obviously at my, my first you know, experience with him was back to the future as doc Brown. So seeing him in particular in this doing his job or playing the role that he did was, was very cool. I, I, I like seeing I liked seeing him outside of that role of Doc Brown as that kooky guy, but still have that kind of energy. And and like Terry Gar, I forget uh, only because I've seen him in certain roles. I forget how good he can be in this. And I thought their relationship, his relationship with with those two guys, um, and how he was really sort of projected as the leader of those three, 
um, was was very cool because it helps set up the moments near the end where he comes into the to the office and said, you know, Larry and Stan will say anything they tell you to. They need their jobs and and I love at the end where he gives back and he says, uh, you know, let, you know, I'm not doing anything without Larry. And I love how he negotiates through the uh, through the bug guy. I think that was great. <laughs> and um, but but having those two with him, at least having them as as chess pieces. Uh, in this film, I think added a little bit more weight to the importance of of his role because that could be diminished in in a lot of ways. I think having that more than anything, I think what that did with that that equalized his relationship and his job working at the the car company was just as valuable as as her job as a mom. And I thought that you know we can tend to when we when we deal with subject matter like this, especially in comedy, we we tend to diminish one role for the sake of another and yes for the majority of this we were really amplifying the role of a mom but i love the fact that that his job was just as valuable and that we saw at least a little bit of that through the writing that it was given a level of importance that that gave him value too uh did you guys pick up on any of that did you like the supporting characters in that regard or even jinx to an extent uh definitely because i mean two things go on there that 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 make it really work is um one the actors which you already said with, with christopher lord and jeffrey tambor is a, a great actor too where he can mm-hmm. just he just has that perfect tone of exasperation in the way he kind of delivers what he delivers in in all the different roles he's done whether it's arrested development or the stunned surprise like he he just has a great look for that mm-hmm. but i think that you can have great actors or you know in those positions or good role players if you want to call it a basketball analogy but it starts a written page for me i mean that's to me, that's Hughes being Hughes. You look mm-hmm. at his films and he can just do that. He takes small roles that, you know, should be inconsequential in tropes and they're just awesome. Look at the principal in, in Breakfast Club. Look at Charlie Sheen's throwaway part in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Look at Edie McClurg as the secretary. Like, he's just really good at writing interesting people for interesting places. And then the filmmakers themselves then find interesting people to play him. And, and that normally is enough just to be just set it apart from just stock casting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeremy, what about you? Yeah, I think the the rest of the cast is pretty great. I know that um, the lady that played Joan, she hadn't done anything in a while before coming onto this movie, and I thought she was great. Um, all of the moms were a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know their names. I know one of them was uh, Cousin Catherine from the Vacation films, but uh, – um, <laughs> but I thought that their relationship with him was pretty funny and you know, you really bought it like that they got to be friends just bonding over the kind of things that moms would like soap operas and uh, carpool lanes and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, again, just like, uh, just like Don said, it's um, it's just John Hughes being John Hughes and really rounding out his characters in a great way. I love seeing that in the, in the credits, I actually, before I watched the the movie for this for this episode i didn't realize that he had written this uh this film and so it makes sense looking back at ferris bueller and and the breakfast club and seeing the john hughes touch that's placed on this and i, and I love that uh, that's what I, one of the things i love about john hughes is how much care he takes for all of his characters 
And I actually read this week that it was kind of the success of Mr. Mom. They got him a deal to write three more films, uh, including Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and Weird Science. So uh, Mr. Mom has a way more important place in movie history than you think it does. Stamp it, masterpiece, right now. Okay, we're going to do that. All right, so one last thing before we move into our connecting Hold point. Hold on, your masterpiece. Okay. Don's got to come in and say this. So, so. Well, I, I will say this is a masterpiece for director Stan Gerringotti. Um, his, his, you know, Vite, if we're going to call it that, Love at First Bite, The Man with One Red Shoe, She's Out of Control, and Necessary Roughness. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a Necessary Roughness guy, but Mr. Mama says masterpiece. I will allow the term masterpiece. Call it in. This is not John Hughes's masterpiece. He's got... And he is he, he is no longer with us. I don't know. I got to look at a list before I name a John Hughes masterpiece, but uh, call it the director's masterpiece. All right. And I didn't realize that he wrote or he directed uh, Necessary Roughness. So, I mean, more reasons for me to love this film. This is just fantastic. Ah, this is why I love podcasting, guys. <laughs> One last thing before we move into our connecting point. I wanted to talk about the ending a little bit. And it's um, it's got some criticism to it. It's a bit um, misogynistic. I think it's being given that label. Uh, do you guys see that at all? I think. Um, do you, Do you see any misogynisticness in in the ending of the film, or is that maybe kind of just giving it unnecessary criticism? Uh, I sure do, and I think I I kind of chimed in on this earlier when we were talking about where it was dated. Where, um, I do think the ending's a little convenient that the man can win here a little bit where um, it's, it's kind of, you can wash it over a little bit because she quits her job. She doesn't get fired or doesn't lose her job and all that. But in the way of which she quits because of, again, crappy men. So yeah, I think that that bells ring it of misogyny a little bit. It's not as overtly bad as, you know, Oh, look, you're back in your place. Like they could have hammered that worse. Um, but like, but I think this goes back to one of your points, Patrick, where because they've established these two as such a good team, that this could have been an interchangeable climax and it would have been fine. Like if he would have, you know, had this great job offer to go back and make a ton of money, but he goes, you know what? I love my time at home and I could have stayed at home and my wife's doing a great job. I think you could have had that ending and not lose a single shred of respect from the audience. No more than this really didn't lose really respect at the time because it was a different era but yeah the, the misogyny bells ringing but not a little tiny little tea bell nothing not a gong in, in a chinese restaurant or nothing what about you jeremy i agree with don you know it probably is a little bit but i think when it for when it was made it probably wasn't uh, the idea i mean she could have had her job back there at the end if she wanted it and the idea that she got to choose what she wanted to do rather than being told that you need to do this because you're the woman, you're the wife or whatever. I mean, I think that for 1983, that was probably not, but in 2017, um, I think, I think it probably does ring a little bit misogynistic as uh, just in our society now. So um, it surprised me to read that people thought that back then, but uh, does not surprise me that people might think that a little bit right now. I think I guarantee if you uh, I guarantee is a strong word, but I think if you re, if you remake this film today, you almost have to end the ending with him staying home, him saying no and letting the woman have a victory. And I'm OK with that. I think this still makes a really good version of the film and uh, where, you know, uh, you have a man respecting his wife and respecting 
just how good he became as a parent and, and that team part. As long as you can hammer in a remake, and I hope they don't remake it, but if if they can hammer that team part, it, it's 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 there, there's not it's a no lose situation. I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, and I can see that that angle, um, but at the same time, I can also see the fact that you mentioned it earlier, or when in in your point, she quit. Like, and she quit because the environment was terrible. Like, it was toxic. Like, she did not want to be around um, this guy who was basically a womanizer. And so she chose to leave. And granted, yes, uh, you know, that <laughs> the male, it was a male-driven type of deal. But if, if we were going to put this in 2017, I think your ending would work just fine, Don. But I also think the idea of saying, hey... I, let's let's both try this. We both love our jobs, and we both let's see how we can make this happen with being being working parents and seeing what the totally. kid, what have, what happens with the kids. So yeah, totally, it, if it's misogynistic, it's probably unintentionally so. I thought it was. I thought it wrapped up too quickly. My wife and I were watching this, and it was just during like just either right during or just after the the hotel scene, and she was like, "Man, I thought this movie was only an hour and a half." because it, it looked like it was going to go on for another half hour. And I looked at the timestamp and we had like 10 minutes left. I'm going, Oh my gosh, this is going to wrap up pretty quickly. Uh, and, and so I thought it actually kind of, it felt like they were landing the plane to try to get it under a, a running time. Like, okay, let's wrap it up. I did think that the scene in the, in the shower with him going, you know, A to Z, I thought that was, that was a nice way to bring it home. Um, it didn't feel cliche. It didn't feel like they were trying to to rush it. I felt like it was in tune with the the tone of the film and and his motives and stuff like that. But that was only my my only beef with the ending was that it felt a little too quickly wrapped up. Um, and the fact that I want Schooner Tuna now more than ever. I just yeah, that's good marketing, I suppose. But <laughs> anyway. I hate you, man. <laughs> no man no we need a lot of tuna around here <laughs> or canned chicken <laughs> and yeah, then, no, well, no, and, no 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 <laughs> no no wait hold on real quickly who has tuna that's you have to reduce by 50 cents to make it i mean how expensive is that tuna right it's like, even today <laughs> i mean you can buy a can of tuna for 89 cents so i mean I'm, 50 cents is more than half your profit. That's... Yeah, so you, you need to reduce it. <laughs> so apparently, yeah. Sco- <laughs> that, would be like, Schooner to... that would be like the one gripe I have with the film is like, you know, if you're going to have a film about a songwriter that writes an awesome song, well, then the song they write better be awesome. Yeah. Or if you're going to have, a, you know, uh, somebody that writes an awesome poem. And I think that that ad, there's nothing about that ad that screams, oh, that guy would love it and, you know, immediately want her to fly out to California to... Help for a out tuna ad. For a tuna yeah. ad. I've got to go to LA to film a tuna commercial. <laughs> Just the absurdity of John Hughes, I guess, or whoever. Well, let's uh, let's move into our connecting points as we uh, as we land this plane. Hopefully, we haven't taken too much of our listeners' time and they've enjoyed this. Uh, I know that I have. So, Don, let's start with you. What was the moment in the film that really connected with you? Uh, the film, that, the part that connected with me was, and I kind of stepped into this earlier, was watching him screw up. Um, and I, and you're right, it starts with the bus lane or it starts in the grocery store. But watching all his screw ups and, and you can't, as, as at least as a father of myself, I could not help but um, measure myself against him. Like I had to ask myself, am I that bad? You know, do I do something that's silly and stupid? And 
my wife was very quick to remind me, you know, you left that stove on the other day or you left the thing in the thing. And I'm like, gosh, man, am I, am, I am that bad. And now I start walking around after a film like that. And I go, and I walk around the house going, where, where are all my scrubs right now? What, what do I, what do I break? What do I do? So, you know, my, my connecting point is, is the fallibility of the screw ups, mm-hmm. you know, because you can put, you know, Mr. Mom right there with Clark Griswold as just those, those dads that screw up and, but they screw up for just the most, I don't know, unselfish. Well, no, they're selfish there, but, I, but they meet, they mean so well and they try so hard to, to please their family and please their spouse. And yet they still screw up so royally bad that I don't know. I, I, I tell myself if I screw up, please tell me I'm screwing up for like a really good reason or like <laughs> that I'm making something that's going to work at the end or, you know, like, like I said, those small victories earlier. So it, it, that's my connecting point is the screw ups, that the, 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 the fallibility of every single father, including myself. That's great. Jeremy, what about you? Um, I think I sent you guys the message while I was watching this in the last week that I felt like John Hughes wrote this movie like right after he watched Rocky three or something because he references it in the first five minutes. There's the Rocky three poster hanging up on the wall in the kid's bedroom. And then my favorite, my connecting point is the Rocky esque montage after he has that little dream uh, where he's in his own soap opera. Um, I just, that really connects with me just cause I've totally been there. Uh, you know, you have like a wake up call in the form of like a discussion or argument with your wife or a friend or you look at yourself in the mirror from the wrong angle or um, you read an inspiring story about somebody else making changes and you get all gung ho. If we want to use another Michael Keaton movie uh, term, but you get to gung ho and uh, go for it. You know, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do stuff around the house. I'm For me, a lot of the time it's with my health. I'm a little bit overweight, so I'm going to lose some weight or I'm going to do this and that. And so I can have more energy um, to be a better dad, be a better husband, be a better homeowner or whatever. Um, so it's fun to watch uh, Michael Keaton go through that as well. I know with me, you know, he tend, he seemed to like solve his problems a lot. For me, it's more fits and starts. And so I'll, I'll do really good for a while and then backslide to being just like I used to be and that sort of thing. Um, so the trick is to see, you know, try and motivate, motivate myself to do it long enough to like have real change so that it is more steps forward than back. But I really love that part where he's just getting motivated and even, you know, it's it's I think it's a little out of place that they have the uh, him doing the jumping jacks and the aerobics with the ladies there when he just had that dream about Joan and shut her out of the place for him to invite her back in. <laughs> but it's still pretty funny, you know, and so I really I really connect with that part. I thought you were going to say that it's out of place for him to be drinking a beer while he's working out. But what happened? oh, no, that's that's the only way to work out. <laughs> it's, with the beer. it's light beer. He's doing all right. He's thinking of calories. Come on. It's like the <laughs> commercials nowadays. Friends don't let friends drink light beer. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, drink, I, I live on light beer. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably couldn't teach during the year, I imagine, right? <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, don't tell the six pack at work thing, but yeah, it's there, you know, just in case. Break glass in emergency, there's a six year there. Different, different kind of six pack at work. <laughs> well, you stole mine, Jeremy, or at least my number one, because I love a good training montage. And whether it's in Rocky or whether it's being sort of used to, uh, to bring about this montage, I thought it was fantastic. So I went with my close second, which was uh, the race at Ron's company party. First of all, I love the absurdity of it. I love, and this is, um, 
this is what if, if I were to direct a film or, or to create this is kind of my go-to type of thing is creating serious moments with really hilarious like payoffs so you have you know these guys standing on the starting line and they take off and then you, <laughs> you see them in in flippers you know running and then of course everything else is just completely absurd so I, I can appreciate that but more than anything especially in light of this recent viewing and what we've talked about earlier about how it informs my marriage and my family. I just, I think this is the first time that I realized how much, um, Jack cared for his wife, not that he appreciated what she did, but the first moments that we see how much he cared for her, how much he loved, loved her and that she wasn't just providing a clean house or a, a food on the table or being just the homemaker, but that he genuinely showed that love for her, his quote sacrifice uh, of his ego for the sake of, of his wife. And that really, I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily, he was trying to save her job. Like I don't think with the amount of success that she was having at the job, I don't think that she would get fired over directly or indirectly that he won a race. But I think that the thought process that went in there, from be, going from, I don't want to be here, uh, we'll use the Aunt Edna <laughs> excuse to get out of here, to having, conveniently having shoes in the car that he could go, you know, change into for this race. I think that the choice that he made to do that and to throw the race specifically showed a lot in a comedic way of how much, how deeply he cared for her. Not saving her job, not so he could be financially secure, but because he saw that she genuinely loved what she was doing. And he wanted her to have that kind of success. And I, I, I tell you guys, when my wife looks at me and says, I'm proud of you, I'm proud of what you did in this moment, that's not directly connected to something that affects her, that means so much to me as, as a man to know that she sees things that I'm putting efforts into that aren't directly related to her benefit. And she's able to call, when she calls those out, that makes me want to... It reminds me to want to call out stuff for her, to tell her, hey, you know what? Unrelated to our relationship, I love that you do these things. I love seeing how you are, uh, you know, how you affect the world around you in these specific ways. And so I think that's kind of what drew me to that scene was the fact that I think what he was doing in the hilariousness of the scene was he was saying, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you're doing because you're good at it, because it makes you happy, and I want to support you in that. So I, it kind of came as a surprise because I, I always thought of that as just one of the more funny moments in the film. And, um, you know, John Hughes has a way to uh, to write that scene that rings out more than, than meets the eye there, to use a Transformers reference there. Well, guys, it has been a blast. Unless you guys have anything else you want to, to bring up, um, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show. But I think for this particular episode, we don't need to close it out just yet without doing a couple of dad jokes. Yes. Would we be remiss if we didn't do that? So, Don, I know you've been excited about doing this. So so, so why don't you give me a couple of dad jokes that that, that you enjoy and see if you can make sure, us laugh. Sure. I'm going to laugh anyway. All right. I just have one, and I'll, I'll pass the, the chain to the next year. Um, you know, a man was hospitalized with six plastic horses found up his butt. Do you know how he's doing? Well, the doctor described his condition as stable. <laughs> Great. 
There it is. <laughs> Legend of Horses and Steam. Jeremy, do you, want to follow, do you want to follow that up? <laughs> Can you follow that up with anything? Oh, well, you know, I just thought of a few that we use all the time and my kids groan about is, um, you know, every time one of them says they're hungry, every time. Well, hi, hungry. I'm dad, you know. Uh. And uh, <laughs> and then the one I'm, I've sort of been famous for even before I was a dad, I was ahead of my time, was anytime anybody says the word intense, I say, oh, like camping. Like, um, <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> you know, intense. And uh, they're, they're terrible, but, uh, you know, I love them. They hold a special place in my heart. <laughs> I love uh, there. There were a couple of jokes that I found on the web that really made me happy. Uh, what what time did the man go to the dentist? Two thirty. Two thirty. These are awful. Oh, <laughs> when the cashier at the grocery store asks my dad if he would like the milk in a bag, he replies, "No, just leave it in the carton." <laughs> that would have been perfect for this film. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> you left your kid in a shopping cart. <laughs> okay, we could we could probably go on and on, but I don't think our listeners really want that. If yeah, you want, if, no. if you want to continue the dad jokes, you can do so on Wait, social media. <laughs> yeah, we're burying this. But it's good stuff. <laughs> okay, so well, Don, if if people want to continue this conversation or provide you with more dad jokes or whatever, where can they find you? They can find me uh, at everymoviehasalesson.com. You can search that term on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm do working on a little bit of a YouTube thing where I do these movie classroom situations where I, I read my review just for a different way of digesting it for those people who are kind of TLTR, TLDR and don't want to read a review but can listen to one instead. So um, I don't know if I'll put dad jokes on there or anything like that, but uh, that's where to find me. As Of course, you can find my weekly column on Feeling Film. Uh, every Friday around noon, it's the What We Learned This Week, where we talk about movie trends and movie news and put a little bit of a lesson spin to it. So that's me. And um, what about uh, Jeremy here? Well, I don't have a fancy website or anything, but uh, I can be found a lot of time in the uh, Feeling Film Facebook page. Um, I hang out there a little bit too often. So often, in fact, that I actually had a dream this week with Don in my dream and so i think i need to maybe take a step back and if, if if i have one more dream with a feeling film group member i am going to take a step back and maybe a little uh social media fast but uh, i can be found on twitter at jn lincoln is my handle and then every week i write uh feeling tv for the feeling film website uh this it comes out on tuesdays this week We'll continue looking at uh, this season of Game of Thrones and Castlevania, which was a fun little show based on an old video game that I watched on Netflix this week. I'm telling you, it's all this masterpiece stuff these last two weeks. People are just dreaming about rants and raves and things like that. I, I can't escape it. As an admin in the Facebook group, the the uh, masterpiece <laughs> conversations have made me pretty nervous for about 10 days now. <laughs> You, well, you and me both, man. You and me both. <laughs> well, nervous. But I tell you what, if it makes if it makes people use it, think before they use it. I'm cool with it. It's like it's like keys and drinking beer. So okay. <laughs> what if it's what if it's light beer, Don? What if it's light beer? Well, you can drink three more beers of light beer instead of regular beers, and you can drive home. Come on, it's a bad move there. So you know, it's I'm... like ten to six ratio. Six six IPAs, ten light beers. You're fine. <laughs> 
light masterpieces. That's what we are. Uh, <laughs> well, if you want to continue the conversation with me about this or anything else, you can find me at the big three social media websites, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. You can also find me at my website, thisispatch.com, for more information about who I am, what I like to do, what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, you know, just whatever. Um, wanted to tell you that voting has officially completed for next week's movie that we are were undecided about until this afternoon, actually. And it appears that Kubo and the Two Strings has edged out the edge of 17. Now, for those of you guys that put in good... Can I, can I just say epic fail on the voting this week let, for everybody? Let me finish what I, I was saying. The epic fail. Let me finish what I was going to say. After having a, a conversation with my esteemed co-host, we've decided that Edge of 17 will make the schedule at some point. Now, I can't say for sure when, but because of so 2019. many, yeah, twenty nineteen, <laughs> we'll make it the edge of nineteen. You know, the edge of eighteen or something like that. But it'll be right after Aaron finishes his next TV show. Boom, burn. There it is. <laughs> He's not here to. <laughs> of course, he can edit this, so he'll probably cut that out. But whatever. Aww, don't, do it. don't get it out. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, we're going to be doing Kubo and the Two Strings next week, and we're going to try to put Edge of Seventeen on the radar for uh, for, for an episode later this year. We actually have a few openings left in our in our schedule. We'll shift stuff around because I personally have not seen either one of these. I'm excited about visiting both, and I, I was tempted. I saw your your message, Jeremy, about hacking your wife's Facebook account. I actually had access to my wife's and was really tempted to put a vote for Edge of 17 for her, but then that would be dishonest, and I don't want to be that guy, at least not in public. So <clears throat> I did the same thing. I I actually have her password, but I think it'd be pretty you know peculiar if she just showed up in the group for once. And <laughs> what is this woman voting? doing? Right. Same here. So anyway, if you want to continue these conversations, you can find out more about them at feelinfilm.com. That's our website where these guys contribute, do a fantastic job, of putting uh, words to digital paper and providing us with a weekly column. We're incredibly grateful for you guys and what you bring to the table. We are also, uh, we also have a lively Facebook group, as you guys have mentioned, with lots of great discussion and banter back and forth. I, I personally love the community. I, as much as I would love to get more conversation, I just I haven't had time lately, but I enjoy reading through these topics and, and seeing what people are are, are talking about uh, Jeremy. I'm loving what you're what what you post on. What are you guys watching tonight? Because it's great to see check in with people and see kind of what's piquing people's interests, and um, and I, and I love it. So the Facebook groups where you need to go if you want to have some good discussion about movies or television or anything that really connects with our brand, which is uh, what makes us feel something. And um, and so go there. You can find it. You can get to it from our website. You can get to it from our Facebook page. And um, yeah, so just go there and contribute be a part of it because it's a lot of fun so with that being said thank you guys so much for for filling in tonight and i say filling in for for coming up here and and being part of this discussion i am i'm really glad we got to talk about mr mom it was one that was unexpected but i'm glad that we had a chance to make it happen uh, listeners i hope that you guys have enjoyed this as well and um we appreciate you guys being on and so with that being said 
without my partner, I will have to fill in those gaps and say, stay positive and keep feeling film.